Welcome to Health Equity Conversations, a series focused on understanding healthcare payment, equity, and how payment can be used to address inequities rather than perpetuate or worsen them. In today's conversation, I speak with Dr. Lisa Simpson. Dr. Simpson is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Academy Health, a role she's held since 2011. Before that, Dr. Simpson spent eight years as a professor of pediatrics, first as an endowed chair in child health policy at the University of South Florida, and then as the director of Child Policy Research Center at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and the University of Cincinnati. She served as the deputy director of the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality from 1996 to 2002. In 2013, she was elected to the National Academy of Medicine and was awarded an honorary Doctor of Science degree by the Georgetown University School of Nursing and Health Studies. In her role at Academy Health, Dr. Simpson is uniquely positioned to understand how the translation of research into policy and practice can help prioritize equity in healthcare payment and delivery. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I trust that you will too. Lisa Simpson, thank you so much for joining us for this part of our Health Equity Conversations, which is a series of interviews and conversations we have with people around healthcare to really grapple with this issue of health equity and how do different parts of payment and delivery impact that. I'm really excited to have you. Thank you for inviting me, Josh. I'm really um, eager to hear this conversation between us and listen to the other participants as well, because this is a thorny challenge, or as some say, a wicked challenge that has been with us for many years. And yet, I am hopeful that we are making some progress. Absolutely. I uh, definitely resonate with that message and am excited to jump in. But before we do, maybe we could kick off and you could tell everyone a little bit about your personal path and your journey to your current role at Academy Health. Sure, absolutely. Well, Josh, like you and and several others who who worry about healthcare, I come from a, a clinical background. Uh, I'm a pediatrician by training, and was drawn to questions of, but why are my patients experiencing these outcomes? I, I did my pediatric residency in Hawaii, so I had a very uh, diverse patient population, uh, diverse from race, ethnicity, but also socioeconomic status, and. Um, early on started asking those questions about disease patterns, not knowing that I was really seeing social determinants of health even back then in the 80s. So that drew me to it. And from there, went on to public health and health services research, because I'm a true believer in having the data and the evidence to inform what changes we make. We do that in clinical care. We believe in evidence-based uh, practice. Uh, why any less for policymakers or folks in health plans and other large systems who make choices that drive the health outcomes of millions of individuals and communities? What I'm hearing from you, it reminds me of that, that fable about that village of people who saw others floating down the river and they were trying to save them. And at one point, someone said, let's go upstream, right? And figure out what are those structural and systems issues. And I think that's at the heart of a lot of what you're describing. And I think also at the heart of what Academy Health does. And, you know, this work didn't start, you know, today or yesterday. It's been at it for a while. And, you know, I followed with interest a particular initiative uh, called Payment Reform for Population Health um, a number of years ago. And, you know, my understanding about that, it was a collection of activities, collaboration, um, um, literature assessment, stakeholder interviews, really a body of work to try to drive it inside about how do we connect healthcare payment to community-wide population health. 
Um, can you share a little bit about that experience and major learnings from it? Absolutely. Uh, so you've described some of the components very well because the, it's a, a sort of in our DNA at Academy Health that we recognize that these are systems problems. And so you need to bring multiple parts of the systems together to consider potential solutions. At the same time, you have to bring non-system thinkers, folks from outside those who created the problem, so to speak, to, to be disruptive and think differently. And so um, there were many of uh, the usual suspects sitting around this uh, multi-stakeholder guiding council that we had, uh, but we also had some not so usual suspects like representative from community-based organizations and social service organizations and also, um, you know, the CFOs within uh, healthcare organizations to really try to grapple with um, the on-the-ground challenge of rethinking how payment happens. Um, and one of the things that uh, several several conclusions from this work, but I think importantly, it it really emphasized that the payment component of uh, payment reform is, uh, alas, as complicated as that is, that is only one part of the solution. Um, and that at the same time that you alter your payment streams, you've got to have a different set of organizations working together um, to then uh, achieve that population health outcome. Uh, and let me say equitable population health outcome that you are seeking. And so one of the things that it made very clear was that we had to, you know, we've often talked about medical and public health, but bringing in social services, social sectors, because you're talking about housing, transportation, uh, nutrition, uh, WIC providers, et cetera. And often what is needed to bring those conversations forward is the trusted convener. And, and this initiative that you brought up was already, as you said, several years ago. And so we've learned more in those last six to seven years about the role of backbone organizations um, and, and other ways that communities can organize themselves to, to grapple these really uh, thorny problems. And I think one of the other things I've learned in my journey from working in clinical practice, then state public health, and then federal policy, and now in an association, is that one size does not fit all. So when we talk national policy and these big themes and payment reform, it's not all going to work the same in every community. And I think we have to get much more nuanced in our understanding of the match between community needs, community capacity, community assets, and the payment streams. And that just makes it that much more complicated because, again, the, the payments are a pretty sort of standard and blunt tool, frankly. And so we, we have to think about how their implementation will um, lead to different potential outcomes in different uh, situations. The other thing you mentioned, I think, earlier is the point about data. And that was another big, you know, sort of not aha, because we know data is important, but how essential a data infrastructure is. And of course, we've seen that lesson learned time and again over the last two years of the pandemic, where our data infrastructure was just not up to the task. And that link between public sector data, public health data, and private sector data is also essential to driving equity because of, you know, the old adage, you know, if you don't know what problem you have, if you don't measure it, it will not get attended to. 
But I, I want to mention this, another project on payment reform that we were doing at about the same time, and this was specifically focused on child health. Obviously, as a pediatrician, I particularly uh, was in, you know, engaged in that one and really trying to look at not only how to align for population health, but this concept of flourishing in child health, because we know that what a child experiences early in their life, and if he or she experiences adverse childhood experiences, that uh, impact is lifelong. There's a real tale to that. And so again, they're looking at the capacity of our traditional model of care delivery and how do we realign it to support uh, through payment and other changes, that flourishing model throughout the life course of an individual. Yeah, I love that, and I and I hear two main things there, which is you know one that you know payment is a, a an important motivator and a driver of behavior, but it's not the only one, and that really you know uh, the delivery model and the community capacity and infrastructure have to be there. And you know one of the things I I really you know taking away those major learnings, I think the idea is you have those financial incentives. You need to have the right people there. We think about those at alignments. Uh, you need to have the flow of information and insight. One thing I really uh, appreciated from that initiative, um, the payment reform for Pop Health, was this idea of a trusted environment, and that is sometimes is harder to you know capture. It's not a recipe per se for that. But could you tell, could you tell us a little bit about you know if people say, okay, we have the models in flight, you know, we're working on data streams, we're trying to get the right people at the table, literally, um, but how do we build that environment? Um, where people feel like this is safe to go to places that we haven't gone historically. It is a a fundamental, I will call it an opportunity for healthcare transformation, is to start focusing on the trust infrastructure, not just all the tools and incentives that we layer on that, because we need that trust infrastructure. And that's one of the reasons Academy Health is actually working with the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation, the ABIM Foundation, on their trust initiative to try to build a research agenda around not just what drives trust, but importantly, how do you build it? So one of the things, and it, it sounds somewhat perhaps Perhaps uh, glib, but I think it is um, foundational here is that change happens at the speed of trust. And so if organizations are not trusting each other, if individuals cannot trust in the organizations, um, long lasting sustained change will not be possible because we're humans. Change is hard. That's not our defaults. We have a very strong status quo bias. And so um, I think that there are models out there and there are communities out there who have really invested in that community capacity for trust and where it has been broken are working on rebuilding trust. That's also important. And so each community is at a different stage of that trust relationship. And in fact, I would point you to a whole series of JAMA commentaries that came out a couple years ago, thanks to the efforts of the ABIM Foundation, and, and one in particular, which I was a co-author on, which gets at this issue of community trust in organizations. Um, and so I, I think that there are some models out there. The Institute for Healthcare Improvement has done work in this space. Shoma Stout, Saha, and her colleagues. Um, and so it's not that we don't know what to do, it's that we have to put in the time and effort. And then that gets me back to your point about capacity and it, financial barriers or incentives. And you know, to your point about capacity, this was an issue before the pandemic. It's even more of an issue now. And yet, again, being the op, you know, optimistic person trying to look at opportunity. 
what the pandemic also gave us was a, a an ability to do things completely different. You know, telehealth is the poster child for that. We suddenly were able to do things we had never done before, not just at the care delivery organization, but in state regulation and let, you know, cross state licensing of providers and let sort of innovation flow from that. So I think we can take that creativity and keep working on that, but back, but doing it with the intention of not being response to a challenge, but the intention being achieving equity. And I think it's going to be that kind of concerted, you know, bottom up look at every process, every stream of work with a, a lens on equity to actually drive sustainable change. Absolutely. I, I think this idea of community trust in organizations has only been highlighted in the last few years and, you know, where it's been present in apps. And I think heavily impacts um, how much change we can make. And I want to key in on that idea of intention. Um, you know, as you may know, that's actually one of the principles of the work that colleagues and I are, are trying to work on as we think about how to contribute to this area of equity and payment and related delivery systems. And, you know, our thought is really intention must precede implementation. And even if you don't do it in an explicit way, it happens anyway. You know, you encode these implicit intentions in. And so um, we've been edified to see organizations thinking about that. It shows up in uh, strategic plans, in mission statements, in sprints for the year. Tell me a little bit about how Academy Health has been thinking about equity, certainly for a long time. But as you think about everything we've learned in the preceding years and now, um, how are you thinking about um, equity in your strategic plan and otherwise going forward? Oh, absolutely. This is essential. So yes, we have focused on equity um, and uh we used to call it disparities um, just uh, less than a decade ago. So the disparities interest group uh, was founded at Academy Health in 2006. In 2015, we we really stepped back and realized that for us to address uh, diversity and inclusion, especially in health services research, we needed to do more. So we established the Center for Diversity, Inclusion, and Minority Engagement as uh, or an investment out of our organizational reserves by our board. So we established that center. And still, you know, five years later, 10 years later, we, no, five years later, not even, uh, about uh, four years later, realized that was not enough. And really the events of 2020 and the killing of George Floyd and the, so many other African-Americans just really, um, and, and that coupled with the disparate outcomes from the pandemic, just made it absolutely clear that even though our world, our our mission is focused on health services research and bringing evidence to bear on policy and practice, we had to do more. We, our field and our organization had to step step up. And so we very intentionally developed our framework for addressing this, which is unique to Academy Health in that it addresses what we can do um, as an organization, what we do with our members and partners, and also our role through influence, through thought leadership, through advocacy, because we can use all of these tools to try to drive this change. And again, always very intentionally. That intention translates into well, asking questions. Well, do we have a challenge with uh, racism and bias in what abstracts are accepted for our annual research meeting? Well, how would we know? We did not collect demographics on the success of abstracts. We now collect that data. And the early results are no, there is no evidence of less acceptance of abstracts submitted by 
African-American, Latinx, or Native American researchers. The challenge is we aren't getting enough abstracts from those underrepresented groups. And so that's just one example of intention. You have to start making diligent, small steps towards that. The same time we established an advisory group on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And their report was released last August of 2021 and had a set of recommendations across the spectrum of what we should do as Academy Health in this domain. And um, we are now acting on those recommendations in several different ways. However, I want to sort of highlight the the more important um, underlying learning that we had in that we are working as Academy Health to really help push, lead, support, nurture our field for the future, for a future of relevance and impact. And we really concluded that this work of of diversity, of equity, is integral to that impact and that future. And so we cannot innovate our science without addressing equity and inclusion. And we can't achieve equity and inclusion without changing how the how we do research. And so that, you know, while it doesn't solve the larger equity challenge of healthcare, if we can really start helping our field do an even better job of addressing the data and evidence needs that then allow us to learn from healthcare transformation efforts so that we can accelerate equity, that's an achievement that I would be proud of. You know, what I, what I love from what you're saying is that, you know, I think sometimes change is really thought of as a big, massive, you know, change, capital C. And that's true. We need to set a vision for that. But I think it's going to require lots of work from lots of groups within their missions. And it can look like small steps, right, that add up and, and big initiatives as well. So I think we need all of that. And, you know, the other thing is this idea of having that aperture to really prioritize equity as we're thinking about the types of research questions we ask, et cetera. So let's talk a little bit about health services research. I think few would argue that promoting equity should involve translating evidence into policy and practice, essentially what you've really eloquently described here. And I personally certainly believe that's the case and that, you know, particularly in the area of payment inequity, we need that. But in my opinion, one of the challenges we have is that we still lack some of those foundational pieces, in my opinion, a research agenda or perhaps a research community to really get from where we are now to where we want to be in translating evidence into action. How are you thinking about this? Um, well, I'm so glad you, you've you highlighted that need because I agree. So I agree on part one, not so much on part two. So the research agenda, absolutely. We have not taken the time to step back and link two key concepts that existed in the initial IOM framework for quality um, and the world and, and where we are today. But we've talked a lot over the years in the payment world about value, low value care, and high value care, and incentivizing value. And those conversations have historically been devoid of mention of equity, and hence why your work that that you're doing is so important. At the same time, the work of equity has been for decades, and it's nuanced, and it's rich, and it's been ongoing. But again, the conversation around value in care has not come together. Now, those are two very rich bodies of evidence, but yet they're separate. And so one thing we are doing, which is um, daunting, as well as very exciting, is thanks to support from the Donahue Foundation, we have launched a new initiative 
um, uh, focused on high value equitable care and to come up with specifically that a research agenda to um, focus future investments for research funders on what we need to know to actually understand how to drive high value equitable care, both at the same time. Um, because I think one of the statements and uh, points that you make in your statement of principles is that for too long we've talked about equity or thought of it as an unintended consequence. And so disparities are, oh, that's just something that happens when you don't do it right. Well, no, that's not the case. It's almost designed in because of our history in this country. And so we have to design in equity from the start. And um, this is a very exciting body of work that we're doing over the next two years, working with some of the leading minds in this country on these topics. And uh, it will culminate with a, an in-person convening to develop the agenda, which we will then broadly disseminate. The, the question is, and to get to implementation is, can we recruit the funders to listen? Because like all other aspects of uh, incentives and payment incentives, researchers will do research in those areas that they can get support for. And so we also have to align research funders uh, to that research agenda. You said we also need a research community, part two of your statement. I think we already have one. Academy Health is the home for those who care about both value and equity. Um, I mentioned those interest groups. If there's more we can do to convene this group, to nurture those who are committed to those two things at the same time, uh, we welcome your thoughts. This is absolutely what Academy Health uh, wants to do, is, is supporting and wants to be even more effective in. Well, for one, I, I'm looking forward to the findings from that, that initiative and uh, count me an interested party for sure. And I think, you know, with respect to the communities, actually, I'll just take your words and say that there has been rich evidence, right, in value and, and payment and then also in equity and bringing them together. And I think that's actually the heart of my comment is that um, there have been times, you know, where I have done work in payment and value and thought about it that way when I've been able to intersect with people with true scholars and thoughtful minds and equity to help push me beyond thinking about, say, race as a construct. You say, what about race identity and centrality, ethnic um, ancestry? It's that overlap. And that's maybe the kind of like that synergy between the communities is what I was really getting at. We've talked about a lot. Let me just ask as a last question here, from your perspective, is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet, uh, but that you feel that we as a healthcare community, and perhaps those of us in HSR and translation into policy, should really prioritize right now uh, to really meaningfully advance equity uh, through payment, delivery, and related initiatives? Um, well, I would say that there are two areas that I think um, need focus investment because of the opportunity. The first is focus on payment transformation for equity in Medicaid programs. Um, you know, I'm a, again, as a pediatrician, taking care of kids who disproportionately rely on Medicaid financing, you know, where the rubber meets road is through state policy and programs. And, and Academy Health works very closely with state policymakers through a number of different state networks. So I think, and and a lot of those researchers are, are focused on that. And I think there's even more opportunity to study what states, the changes state policymakers make in their Medicaid programs and the managed care plans that they partner with to see what does work um, for improving equity. 
The second area is I think everybody has, uh, if they're not applying for it, they're certainly monitoring what will happen with the new CMMI initiative, uh, Reach ACO, to really drive equity. And um, so I think that is a tremendous opportunity. At the same time, I really hope that my colleagues at CMMI, Liz and and, uh, Dora and so many others, are really um, investing the resources necessary to properly evaluate um, the models that are supported. And not to say this did or did not work, but to say how did it work? For which subgroups of the population, under which conditions, in which communities? It's that disentangling the complex reasons why implementation um, works differently in different contexts. That's the kind of uh, evidence and data we need so that we can then take those elements that were successful at driving equity and replicate those and, you know, not do the things that don't work. Couldn't have said it better. And uh, I, I'll just return to a thing you said, which is um, daunting, but really important and exciting at the same time. I think grappling with kind of the intention and the values that we we lead with, but also getting down into where the rubber, as you say, meets the road and the payment and delivery and the policy and the practice implementation. We need lots of work from lots of angles, as I said earlier, and um, really glad to hear about ways in which you and Academy Health are doing that. So uh, Lisa, thanks again for joining us today. Really enjoyed this conversation and look forward to sharing it with everybody who's listening. Oh, great to talk with you, Josh. Thank you.